we have had so many great conversations here at the Shakespeare Theater Association conference uh, in Dallas uh, on a number of topics. One of the, but one of the most fascinating for me was a conversation about educational touring and uh, Heidi Schmidt, comma PhD, <laughs> who is the assistant director of outreach and the resident dramaturg at Colorado Shakespeare Festival, was talking about their educational touring program and 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 how they use Shakespeare's violent storylines to address issues in schools of bullying and violence. And I thought that was so fascinating that, A, you could use, that Shakespeare, as I began to think about it, oh my God, yeah, there are a lot of violent storylines in Shakespeare, and that they can be used for educational purposes. Yeah, uh, my my boss, Amanda Jaguer, who is uh, really the architect of this program, uh, has said in several public spaces that Shakespeare gives us so many examples of people doing it badly and of people making bad choices, uh, which makes for good drama, but not really for a good life experience. Yeah. So, right. I, cautionary tales. Exactly. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast number 711, Using Shakespeare's Violence. Back in early February 2020, what seems like a dozen years ago, but was actually only six months ago in Real Money, I attended the Shakespeare Theater Association Conference in Dallas, and on the last night, I persuaded Heidi Schmidt, the Assistant Director of Outreach and Resident Dramaturg for Colorado Shakespeare Festival, to tell me more about the program Colorado Shakes has developed for bringing Shakespeare into schools. Heidi started by talking about her boss, Colorado Shakespeare Director of Outreach, Amanda Jagir, and the impetus for this program. Several years ago, uh, she and our artistic director, Tim Orr, were talking about um, educational offerings, and we'd love to do a show that we can tour to schools that's easy for the schools to host, and um, they both love Twelfth Night, so uh, let's talk about Twelfth Night, and what do we do with that? And so Amanda was kind of thinking through, like, is there a lens, is there something specific about Twelfth Night that maybe resonates with... Uh, with students and uh, kept hearing all these like news stories about bullying trends in schools and started making connections in her brain between uh, the gulling of Malvolio, that yeah. series of escalating pranks that starts with people who just don't like each other and like like poke at each other and push at each other, and eventually it escalates to this like really over the top kind yeah. of horrific scenario. Yeah. And in her brain, she sort of had this click where she said, "This actually sounds a lot like the bullying trends I keep hearing about on the news." So she discovered uh, because like we're a professional Shakespeare company, but we happen to be housed on the campus of a major research university, and she discovered that there was an entity a few doors down from us, down the street, literally, uh, called the Center for the Study and Prevention of Violence. Um, They're part of the Institute of Behavioral Science on campus at CU Boulder, and their foundational logic is that they study and are a repository of research on bullying and violence trends in American schools. Right. Oh, wow. So she reached out to them thinking, maybe they'll have a good book they can recommend. And when she reached out and cold called or cold emailed or whatever, uh, she got a a reply back that said, this sounds really great. Can we partner with you? Oh, neat. 
And she got really excited and said, oh, really? Really? You want to work with us on this? Well, this inter interdepartmental uh, cross-collaboration is very popular uh, in university settings. Uh, yeah. It is in theory, but yeah. in practice, it's really hard to implement because nobody has time right. to actually put in the legwork to make that work. Right. So in this case, uh, it was it was, it was was a little surprising, uh, but lovely that they were interested in this. And so we continue to work with them nine years later. And they are sort of the behavioral science research part component of the project. So they love us because we give a very engaging, uh, energetic storytelling narrative uh, sort of mouthpiece to the, all this research that they're doing. And we love them because they give us so much credibility in terms of like Shakespeare, he got a lot of things right. Yeah. And there are a lot of things in the plays that we continue, like when, when you have this information in your brain, it's really hard not to see the storylines in that light. Sure. So, uh, yeah, so Twelfth Night was the first show that we did. Um, and it's evolved quite a bit since then in the eight or nine years we've been doing this project. But we're looking at Shakespeare plays in combination of what might be interesting from a curriculum standpoint mm -hmm. for teachers, what might be interesting from a relatable standpoint for students. Uh, and we cover grades 3 through 12. So we usually do something that's a little bit more about... Um, maybe the obvious or surface levels of violence right. um, and bullying for the younger kids, grades three through five. Yeah. Uh, we have done, um, Twelfth Night works really well for that with, um, again, like the pranks with Malvolia. Sure. We've done the comedy of errors, which is so much about the slapstick violence sure. of, I don't understand you, I'm going to beat you up. Right. Rather than, or I'm frustrated with you, yes. Exactly. Yeah. Rather than, let's ask some questions and actually solve the problem and get to the bottom of what this misunderstanding is right. about. Which is more effective, but less funny. Exactly. Yes. Um, right. Again, good drama versus good life are not the same thing. And are the kids uh, seeing, I don't want to interrupt you, but are the kids right. seeing um, full productions or isolated scenes out of context? Well, somewhere in between that. Okay. Uh, we're doing um, full productions is not exactly accurate. We're doing like 30-minute cutting. So we're trying right, to tell I the see. full story yes. as well as we can, yes. but full not so much. Right. Uh, so but for not, the, they're not just, and here's a scene from Shakespeare. You know? Right. Yeah. It's um, we're, we're trying to cover the story beginning, middle, right. and end as well as we can. With right. uh, We've got three actors, a stage manager, and a minivan. Uh, so we've got very, very minimal scenery. Costumes are, we have three actors playing like 20 different roles. So Where did you get that idea? <laughs> uh, so we've got lots of like um, a costume is a jacket or a hat sure, or sure. you know whatever they can fit on a coat rack yeah. um, kinds of things. So for the elementary schools we do a 30 minute cutting. Uh, for the middle and high schools we do a 45 to 50 minute cutting. Uh, so like currently we're halfway through a tour of Romeo and Juliet for middle and high schools, and a 30 minute. Um, oh, what are we doing? Oh yeah, the Tempest that play oh. um, for uh, for the little kids. It's about like cycle of violence and how do you how do you reconcile and forgive someone who has legitimately done you wrong? Yeah. And also, how do you recognize when someone has done you wrong and you have, in turn, done them wrong? Caliban Prospero. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and and like all the characters. Sure. I mean, there are very sure. few characters in that play that are innocent. Like everyone. And so so trying to reconcile with yeah, someone hurt you, and that's real, but 
what happens if you hurt them back? Does it actually fix anything, right. or like what what are the what's the impact of right. of revenge or vengeance? Um, uh, Amanda has on the back on the back of our business cards we have Shakespeare quotes, and hers says the rarer action is in virtue than in vengeance, which is from the Tempest, and it's one of her favorites. That it's um, the more difficult choice, but also the more useful choice is uh, forgiveness rather than vengeance. That's fabulous. That's a great quote. And and yours ain't too bad either. In in nature's infinite book of secrecy, a little I can read. Yeah. Mine would probably have to be brevity is the soul of wit. That's our operations manager. <laughs> when the kids see it, are they do they know they're seeing a production of Romeo and Juliet? Do they or they think they're seeing something that's good for them, something educational. You know what I mean? Um, we we have limited control over that. We try to communicate as much as we can with the schools about what they're going to get so right. that they can pass it on to their students. But until we are actually in the school, we have very little direct communication with the students. Right. So um, that's an excellent question. I don't know that I have a specific answer. Uh, we definitely market it and sell it as we are doing Romeo and Juliet with the schools. Uh, and a, a side note that's actually a very direct thing. We actually avoided Romeo and Juliet for several years. Uh, and it's that, yes. that collaboration I was talking about earlier. I, the, the, the science and sort of the best practices from a like sociology standpoint has shifted a little bit. When we first started talking about what plays would we do, Romeo and Juliet came up because it's, I mean, it's about teenagers. It's about kids who are the age of the students we're performing for. But... The ending, not so great. Uh, yeah, the ending, not so great. And also there's uh, there's conflicting evidence, or at the time the conversations we were having around conflicting evidence or lack of evidence about whether enacting something in front of kids sparks similar behavior. And we didn't, and like, there's not really conclusive evidence either way from a scientific standpoint. For, for our productions, we do a significant amount of preparation. And this is, this is where the choice to do the play shifted. We started, uh, and I'm... I, I, I should be careful what I say. I am not a sociologist. My PhD is in theater, not in not in science. Right. Um, in our conversation, our conversations with our scientific partners shifted over the last five years or so. And I'm not sure if it's that we got a new partner or if there was like new emerging science along the way. But um, our conversations shifted to the point that naming it is not going to invent the idea. Naming it is going to give the kids a chance to normalize the fact that uh, this was some research that came to our attention as we were preparing Romeo and Julia that uh, really surprised me, which is for every um, for every person, uh, young, old, middle, um, adult child uh, who completes a suicide attempt, there are about 200 who are having suicidal ideation and do not act upon it. So there's a way in which you can look at that from a negative lens and say that's really terrifying. The flip side of that is to say just because you're having thoughts doesn't mean you have to do something about it. Right. And right. and so for us that was sort of a, a, a door that unlocked. And so we've been working with a woman who I want to double check her title, but I believe she is the uh, coordinator for the state of Colorado, um, looking at suicide as a health crisis, yeah. uh, as, as, a, as a health issue. And her job is she is the coordinator for the entire state. She works for the state of Colorado okay. in looking at prevention and um, like the actually emerging science about what's going on, again, with youth and with adults in terms cool. of um, suicidal ideation, intervention, um, attempted, yeah. um, and all of those things. Uh, so there's, there, there's also a lot of language 
language I just want to remind myself about that um, committing suicide is a phrase we try not to use anymore, right. that it's it. about um, yeah, an attempt or a completion. Um, so we've had a lot of conversations with her, and she has been an extraordinary resource. Right. And we have included a lot of those resources in our study guides and our preparatory materials to make sure that uh, we are being as responsible as we can be about yeah. opening up these conversations. Um, yeah, you don't want to lob this grenade into the classroom and then bugger off. You know, you've got some responsibility for what happens. Right, exactly. So we're, we're trying to give the teachers and the counselors, and of course the counselors probably have way more resources than we do sure. because they have a lot more training than sure. we do as theater practitioners. But also a lot of the teachers, you know, may or may not be well prepared to handle this this kind of um, these kinds of scenarios. So all of our study guides, all of our email communications include lots of resources yeah. about who to call if you're not sure, who to call if you are a person who is having suicidal ideation, right. um, who to call if you are a teacher who is concerned about a student or about someone in your care, yeah. um, and how to get additional resources. So we've been yeah. really trying to help um, spread the word that way. We've also included, um, there's a three or four page um, document that uh, this woman who works for our Colorado sent to us that we included in our study guides as well. So it's lots. Of, we're trying to give people lots of information, not overwhelm them, but make sure they have all the resources that they need. We also do a lot of uh, classroom workshops after the production. This is part of the program. Is It's not just we go and do Shakespeare right. in schools. We do these performances, and then we go into classrooms. We, we do spend a lot of time training our actors to be teaching artists as well. Uh, we hire actors who have either existing training or a certain um, inclination or skill set or um, talent toward teaching, and then we try to build upon that. Uh, and we bring a lot of our, again, our scientific partners, um, education partners, um, classroom management, child psychologists, and to really help give them as many tools as we can to step into classrooms to work with, you know, 30 adolescents right. about, hey, you just saw this play in which all of these things happened. We're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about and step into some role, role playing um, to kind of work through some sure. of that. Uh, and I want to, again, I want to be careful about my phrasing with that because we've learned a lot along the way about how to schedule, the, uh, like how to set up those role plays and how not to set up those role plays. Yeah. Hey, it's Robert Falls, the Artistic Director of the Goodman Theater here in Chicago, and you are listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Enjoy. Where can you RSC? The RSC right now, the only place to see the remote Shakespeare Company is online. We've created a brand new page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, and a playlist on our YouTube page where right this second you can watch us perform many of our epic abridgments from the comfort of your own shelter. Plus, some brand new videos we recorded and shot especially for right now, including our online performance as the remote Shakespeare Company for our friends at Reston Center Stage in Reston, Virginia, and the almost two-hour video Q&A that Reed Martin and I conducted on Facebook and our reduced reunion of over 50 RSE actors, stage managers, and wardrobe goddesses from at least four different time zones. Just go to our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or our YouTube page, YouTube.com slash user slash ReducedShakespeareCo, and click on the Co-Videos playlist. We'll continue to add to this page, so be sure to bookmark it. You can grab your own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin and beautifully illustrated by Jenny Mazels. It's on sale worldwide, and you can find links to both Amazon and independent bookstores in the U.S. and the U.K. on our website. <laughs> 
As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates, whenever they can start up again, is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office, venue, and ticket information. Now back to my conversation with Heidi Schmidt. Heidi and I were talking about new ways of framing Romeo and Juliet for classroom discussion. It's very easy to land on, this is a play about suicide. And that is valid and that is real, and it is. Right. But it's also a, char- a, a play about characters who have no resiliency, who have no coping skills. Every single character in the play, if there's a conflict, their first response is, who do I kill? Right. Who do I stab? Who do I beat up? Who do I, like, every single character is lashing out in violence. So Romeo and Juliet are not two kids who resort to suicide. They're two kids who have no role models for how how to positively resolve conflict other than with violence. So to me, it makes psychologically, and again, I'm not a psychologist, right. all the caveats, but from the perspective of a theater artist and a you know somewhat student of human behavior, the idea that these two kids, their response to, we don't know how to solve this conflict, we don't know how to survive, right. we are going to react with violence either on each other or on other people or on ourselves. Yeah. That's not a stretch to me. So looking at, so we're trying to look at the play not as what do you do for these kids, but how do you solve this whole massive entrenched community problem of violence? That's the bigger problem, which, which of course, you know, very famously applies itself to these two kids, these two teenagers. But that's not the problem. The bigger problem is that the entire community is marinating in violence all the time. And do you have, um, speaking of science, do you have evidence, uh, either empirical or, or anecdotal, that this is working? That, that that the kids are taking something from a live performance that they might not get in a lecture or a, or whatever, or in a you know, or in a movie. I mean, it's 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 one of those things that's incredibly difficult to track. Like there is there is evidence, there are sociological studies that show that students uh, student comprehension and retention are better with live performance than with reading a text or with a film version. Okay, um, like that exists separate from us. Right. Um, in terms of like anecdotal evidence of, um, I, I mean, the thing that you want to latch onto, I think, is is the stories of like a kid who is thinking about suicide and changing their mind. Um, we we have nothing so dramatic, and frankly, right. if there were a story so dramatic, we would probably never hear about it. Yeah, right. And right. Uh, for for us, it's less. Um I mean, that might be the case. We don't know. But for us, it's less about that and more about do the kids have more tools when yeah, we leave say. them than when we arrive. We have learned to be uh, careful and precise as much as we can about, um, I mean, we, I think we wrote grants in the early years of this project that was like, we're going to end bullying once and for all with Shakespeare. <laughs> and like, it sounds really great and it's really ambitious and lovely. But at the same time, you know, nine months later or 12 months later, can you write a report saying, we ended bullying once and for all with Shakespeare, and yeah. here's how we can prove that. Right. Well, of course you can't. No. Like, that's not that's, that's not really in the realm of possibility or of measurable outcomes, sure. you know, is the, yeah. is the term we often use. Manage your expectations, as they say. Yeah, yeah. under promise over deliver uh, yeah, is, one. Yeah, one. is one that I've been told a lot in terms of grants. So we've, we've really tried to navigate what can we do, yeah. um, what can we do effectively, and how do we measure that? 
That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Obviously, Colorado Shakespeare's school's programming is on hold for the moment, as indeed are most things, but I hope they can get back to doing this worthwhile work soon. Until then, send us your Shakespeare teaching methods via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener, and you can follow Colorado Shakespeare Festival on Twitter at CO Shakes. Thanks, as always, to comically violent Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, and music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Kira Lee Bradley. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Robert Falls, Artistic Director of the Goodman Theater in Chicago. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe, stay home, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 711 2033 of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. Thank you, Doctor. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This podcast is a production of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.